Greetings, this is Pastor Stan Harvey of the Pentecostals of Sydney. Thank you for joining us on our podcast. It is our hope that this message, whether it be a Sunday service or a midweek lesson, would be a blessing and a help to you in your spiritual journey. Stay connected with us on our website, posydney.com, or on our numerous social media platforms. Now to the service. going to continue on with our series, The Tough Sayings of Jesus. So if you've got your Bible with you, we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 to 42. This is probably one of the hardest things that, you know, when you get a topic to, to preach on and then you go over it and then you say, okay, how do I, how do I bring this? Because it's, it is. Some of the stuff that we're going to hear about is very tough. So in verse 38, this is Jesus speaking, saying, And ye have heard that it been said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him also, or turn to him the other also. And if any man sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not, or turn not thou away. So Father in heaven, Lord, we come before you this morning. Lord, we heard... In the, in, the, in the worship, Lord, that you can do anything, that you, you're behind us, and Lord, that nothing is impossible for you. So we're asking you right now, Lord Jesus, God, that you will meet with us right now in this place. Lord God, as your word goes forth, Lord God, that you will speak, Lord God, that Lord, let, let, your, let there be good soil, Lord God, so people, that your people can receive your word. I pray your anointing right now, Lord God. Calm down my nerves, Lord Jesus, for this topic, Lord, of the hard sayings. Lord, and I pray, God, that everything that we hear today, Lord, that we can apply it to our lives and we give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So those words that we heard, they're very challenging. I know that they challenged me and, I was, and I'm finding it hard to... To bring it across because, you know, I've read this passage over and over, but it's never, not to the depth that I had to go through to study, because it is a very challenging scripture. Jesus here is delivering his famous Sermon on the Mount. He's speaking to his disciples and potential disciples, explaining to them the nature of what his kingdom is all about. Jesus was a king who came to establish a kingdom, but his kingdom was different from the kingdom that the people wanted or expected. So he needed to explain and to correct their misunderstanding about the kingdom of God. And in this series, The Hard Sayings of Jesus, we start off in this first scripture. Jesus is 
correcting the misunderstandings about the law of God. See, they've heard the command, thou shalt not murder. But they thought it only applied to the act and not to the intentions of the heart. They heard the command, thou shalt not commit adultery. But they thought it concerned the act and not the intentions of the heart. And Jesus wanted to correct that, correct their understanding of the law of God and to bring truth, the true word of God to their heart. And that is where we come to the beginning of verse 38. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Jesus begins addressing this passage of the, from, the old, from the scripture from the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 21 and 24. And he says it in the law of Israel. An eye, it says in the law of Israel, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, doesn't stop there, a hand for a hand and a foot for a foot. And Jesus says, you have heard it taught because it was taught in the synagogues. But, by the, but the way that they taught it, they actually took the good and helpful law of God and they twisted it. They twisted it, they mangled it into something that actually did harm among God's people and not good. Let me tell you how they twisted it in, back in Jesus' day. They wrapped it up by changing the way or the sphere that it was in, the position that it was in. They wrapped it up by regarding it as an obligation and not as a limit. You see, when God spoke the law in the Old Testament, he absolutely meant it. But he meant it in the context of the day. So when you read for yourself Exodus chapter 21 and even verse 20, 22, in that section it gives instructions to the judges of Israel on how they should administrate justice or civil justice. It's not the section where it talks about how we should get along with our neighbour. It's about how justice should be administrated in the society. But sometimes we can misunderstand the word of God and we can take things that God has spoken and how things should be done in the civil society and we apply them to our personal realm. Or when we take the personal realm, the things of the personal realm, and we apply them the way we think should be in a civil society. So what they did was they took an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and they took it out of the realm of the civil, the justice system, and they put it in the realm of the human system or relationships. Therefore, if you ram my car with your car, I'm going to ram your car with my car. What they also misunderstood about the law was that God intended it to be a limit and not an obligation, not only, in a, not only in a civil government, but also in our own relationship. See, if you want to poke me in the eye, I want to poke you in the eye. But not only that, I want to do something else. I want to stomp on your foot. Whatever. We're never content. If someone does something to you, you want to do something back and extra. But God said, no, justice has limits. That's the punishment, or well, sorry, it's the punishment that fits the crime. The punishment should not be excessive. And sometimes 
There are some things that we need to know. And that's why some things that lawmakers need to keep in mind that because they know the law better than I do, but I can agree that the principle that punishment should not be excessive and that justice should be properly administrated. So that people should not suffer loss of life or liberty without due process of law in a just society. But they twisted the law in those days and they took it out of the realm of the civil government and put it in a relation, personal relationship. They made it an obligation. They said an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. If you poke me in the eye, I am obligated to poke you back. And Jesus says, no, you've twisted and you've mangled these scriptures. So it goes to show that it is very possible that we can twist the scriptures around. It doesn't take much. And I'm going to stand here and tell you, I'm going to put a plug out for disciple makers, Bible studies, because I was in a Bible study and it taught me how to understand scripture and read scripture and not take things out of context. See, the apostle Peter wrote in chapter 2, Verse 3 and 16, as also in all his epistles, speaking to them these things in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that unlearned and unstable rest, that they do also the other scriptures and unto their own destruction. So it is very easy that you can wrestle with the scriptures. You can wrestle to the point of your own destruction and the destruction of others. It is, it is possible for someone to take the words of the Bible out of context and out of the proper situation that it's in. And that's what Jesus was addressing here. For example, in the Old Testament, tell me if I'm wrong, it says that they could sacrifice animals. Yes, that's what they said. But do we have to do it today? No. Why? Okay, why do we have to do it today? Because Jesus paid the price on the cross, so we wouldn't have to do that. We wouldn't have to sacrifice again. And guess what? Even the Israel, even the Israelites, or even the people, the Jews people now, they don't have to do it again because God paid the price. So they don't have to do that again. Even the scripture where it talks about Jesus saying to the rich young ruler, we heard it a few weeks ago. He told the rich young ruler to sell everything and give it to the poor. It's a hard saying. But does that mean that that's a command for every one of us to give to the poor, to sell everything and give it? No, I don't think so. So it is possible to take passages of scriptures and lines of scriptures and twist them. In 2 Timothy 2 and 15, it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed. Rightly divide the word of truth. Sometimes we get a little paranoid, a little bit, you know, we, we, come, to, we come to the truth and we, you know, and we're studying the word of God. And if somebody from a different denomination or whatever was to open up their Bible and stop, we get nervous. Are they going to preach the truth? 
Are they going to preach error? What are they going to preach? You know? But then there's a good scripture here that says in Acts chapter 17 and verse 11, he was, Paul was uh, preaching and then there was these people called the Bereans. They were from Berea. And one of the things that they did, which is what we need to do in Acts chapter 17 and 11, is it describes the attitude of the people of Berea. It says that these were more noble than those in Thessalonia in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and they searched the scriptures daily, whether, to, whether these things are so. So Paul preached and these people received the word, but they studied it. They searched the scripture to see what he was saying was true. And I say to you now, doesn't matter who's preaching, check it out. Make sure that what they're saying is true. Study, you know, continue to search the scriptures. They were not paranoid or scared that, you know, that they were, someone was, something was going to happen or whatever, but they searched it daily. Jesus in, um, in John chapter 5 and 39 says, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and they are they which testify of me. How are you going to find out about the things of God in that until you search it? You got to do the research, read your Bibles, look at what the people do teach who have influence over in your life how they measure up to the Bible. So we can receive the word with readiness, without being paranoid. We need to check it out for ourselves. But then that was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And then Jesus continues and he says, But I say unto you, in verse 39, that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. Wow. Us, us guys, if someone hits you, you don't sit there and go, go again. You jump. You go for it. And Jesus presented the fullness of what God intended for an eye for an eye law and how God never intended it, sorry, never intended it to limit the idea of the love we should have for one another. See, you see, Jesus told us here that when a person insults us, that is, slaps you on the right cheek, our instinct is to give it back and what he deserves even more. See, they knew in, the, in, their, in their culture that it was a deep insult if you were to be slap somebody on the, on the cheek, especially on the right side cheek. Because I was going to ask my, um, my uh, volunteers, but I won't because it'll probably take too long. But our culture, our Lebanese culture, first thing they do is go, that's, that's a backhand. And in the culture there, to slap somebody on the right cheek, you had to give them a backhand. Otherwise, you're not going to go like this on the right. You slap them on the back. That was an insult. And it wasn't, it wasn't meant to injure as much as it was to insult a person. But today, we don't insult people like that. We insult people by going on social media or text messages. That's how we insult. But back then, to insult somebody, it would be a slap like this. 
But notice, Jesus himself, he modelled this. He was telling us that when we get insulted to not retaliate, okay? Do not resist evil. And we tend to think, I'm going to attack. But Jesus himself modelled this. Do you understand how terrible our Saviour was mocked and insulted during his life and his life in ministry? When the people insulted him, he did not get up and attack. He was God. He could have done anything, but he didn't. He just sat back and he allowed it to happen. He patiently and gracefully bore the insult. But it went to a different dimension and a deeper dimension at the cross. Because the, gro the cross, Jesus endured such mocking and insult upon not only his person and character, but he, they insulted God. They didn't know or they didn't, you know. So I think that when Jesus was there and he was being insulted, called a drunken, called a, a madman, he was called a illegitimate child, he was called all these different things that he was called, his names, but he bear it. Sometimes we think that Jesus suffered on the cross just because of what we see. But he suffered physically, he suffered spiritually, and agony. And you know what? And you've got to think that he was, he was man as well, and he suffered emotionally and psychologically as well. It wasn't just because of the, the scars that he had. But I, you know, I think about it sometimes, and I, can, I can't, I, I just doesn't, doesn't comprehend in my, in my, my mind the things that he went through and he didn't say nothing. He didn't do nothing. And we read in the Bible in Isaiah where it talks about like a lamb to the slaughter. He didn't even open up his mouth. And we are so quick to respond. He could have, he could have, as God, he could have just sent fire from heaven and toasted them. Nothing left. But he didn't. He patiently bore the mocking and the insult. And this is what Jesus was telling us to do. But there are three things that I want to bring up that you can misunderstand. And they could be the wrong ways, okay? It is wrong to think that Jesus meant that a physical attack should never be resisted or defended against. Okay, so let me, let me just read this. We understand that a slap... On the, on, the, on the cheek is culturally understood to be a deep insult, not a physical attack. Jesus did not mean that if I was to grab you, Brother Nigel, and slap you with a cricket bat across the head, across the face, you would just say, hmm, turn around and slap. He's not saying that, okay? He's not saying that you cannot do some things. He's not saying that this is, you have to, every time you get attacked or whatever, you have to turn the other cheek. He's saying that you have the ability, you have, it, um, you have the right to defend yourself and your family if you were to be attacked. 
Do you know that the Bible teaches that you have a right and even a responsibility to defend yourself and your loved ones? How about this? I didn't think of this before, but when I studied this, Jesus was walking with his disciples. His disciples had swords in their pouch. What for? To defend. Because they were robbers, they were criminals in the day. Self-defense. They had them there. So there is that. Jesus was with them. They travelled they traveled around with a sword. And the Bible says in, in many scriptures that they had swords in them. For what? For self-defense. The Bible is not against the concept of self-defense when it comes to our physical person. Jesus is telling us, therefore, not that it's wrong to defend yourself physically, but you must bear the insults that people bring your way. However, there may be times, maybe, one in probably a million, right? When, you, when there is someone under the guidance of the Holy Spirit to be led by God to actually absorb a physical attack. A physical attack upon themselves for God's glory. And it was, when I was going through this, there's this story that came up. An evangelist named Dick Weaver, who lived about 150 years ago, converted in 1852. He was, a, he was in the great revival that swept across Great Britain in 1959. God used him in a mighty way to evangelize. Dick Weaver used to go out, preach the gospel on the streets at all times. He was a man at the age of seven worked in a coal mine. And at the age of 13, started drinking. He was a big man. I don't know if you, you guys know Brother uh, Semi. You know, he's about 17 foot high and 13 foot wide. He was as big as that man there. But he was converted. And then one day on the streets of London, this man seen him and he knew what he used to do. He used to be out on the streets and he used to get money from street fighting. He used to bash people for money. And then when he was converted, he was out in the streets preaching. And now all of a sudden, someone sees him and says, Dick. He goes, it says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 39, that if, you, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, you've got to turn the other one. So Dick goes, bring it on. So the guy comes along and he jumps, smack, smashes him. He stumbles back, gets his rhythm again, and then he looks at the guy and then he turns the other cheek. And the guy was so scared that he ran off. A few years later, he bumped into him on the streets and he says, Dick, do you remember me? He goes, no. He goes, I'm the one who punched you. God's been dealing with me and I've been converted. But that is a story, it's a good story, but that is not the general rule. We don't just get hit and then jump and do it again. He's just using that as an example that sometimes God can orchestrate something like that to happen. Another wrong is to think that Jesus meant evil should, should never be resisted. Je Jesus demonstrated in his own life that evil should be resisted. And he was very strong in Matthew 23 when he rebuked the religious leaders. And he said that you need to resist evil. Matthew 21 and 12 said, 
And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast them all out that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables and money changers and the seats that sold of them that sold doves. And in John 2 and 14, he's found, it says, and he found him in the temple those days that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of the money sitting. And when he had made scourge of small cords and drove them out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changes. Jesus showed evil should be resisted no matter. or no, So nobody should take it as, well, you're a Christian. You need to kind of toughen up or take it, you know, wimp out or whatever. He says, no. He says, when you, when you see things like human trafficking or people get abused and Christians getting beheaded, you need to be, as a Christian, stand up. You need to stand up for what's right. Don't just, you know, we're Christians, we're supposed to bow down. No, we're not. Jesus, Jesus himself showed us that when it comes to truth and that, we need to stand up. It is the place for a Christian to say no. There's evil in this world and we Christians, we desire to resist it. The third thing is to think that this means that there's no place for punishment in a ret- or retribution in society. See, sometimes when somebody commits a crime, the first thing we, the first thing we think of, oh, we're Christians, you know, we need to let them off, you know, let them do what, you know, have compassion. Please don't punish the criminal. After all, the Bible says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And, you know, we don't want to practice that. But if you understand what God had placed in Romans chapter 13 verse 1 to 4 he says that the government needs to step up we should be praying for our government we should be praying for our police we should be praying for our judiciary system because the execution of justice in the community is very close to God's heart and it says in, in Romans 13 and 1, it says, Let every soul be subject unto a higher powers, for there is no power but God, the powers that are ordained of God. So whosoever therefore resists the power, resists the ordinance of God, and that that resist shall receive to them themselves damnation. For rulers are not the terror of good works, but of evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God unto thee for good. But if thou which doeth evil be afraid, he that beareth not the sword in vain, for he is a minister of God, a revenger and an executor of wrath upon them that doeth evil. See, you and I, we must turn the other cheek or we must um, turn the cheek because we are personally insulted. We can turn the other cheek. But the government should not turn the other cheek. That's what they're there for. That's what God has placed them there. God has placed them there because of his law. See, if a man breaks into your house, the first thing that you would do if you've seen him is you would probably try and hit him, put him on the ground and tie him up. So the guy turns around and he's tied up and he sees you and he says, 
oh, you're a Christian. I see the Bible on the, on the, on the shelf and I, and I see some pictures of, have mercy on me, please, I, I, I ask you, forgive me. And as a, as a good Christian, you should forgive the man. You should, you should hold him. You should pray with him. You should do whatever it takes. But you can even give him breakfast if it's early in the morning. But you need to call the police because you live in a just society. So if you let this man off because he's asked you, oh, please, I'm a Christian. Uh, forgive me, you're a Christian. And we, in our heart, oh, we need to forgive them and we, need, and we let them go. Did you show the love of God? You show the love of God to him, but did you show the love of God to your neighbor who tomorrow night's going to get robbed from the same guy? No, you call the police. Let the police do what they're supposed to do and enforce justice. And then Jesus continues to challenge us in verse 41. Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile. Did I miss one? I've even numbered these pages. Here we are, verse 40. Uh, skip a verse quickly, finish off. If any man sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have the cloak also. See, back in the day, they used to wear layers of clothes. So their undergarment would be like a singlet. Then they had a middle, middle um, sh shirt. Then they would have had a cloak or a sweater or something like that and, it, and the Bible says that if somebody was to take you to court and you lost you were forced to give them your shirt but you weren't allowed to give them your cloak and it was a, it was a law that Moses had said and that was that you could take the shirt but you couldn't take away the sweater or the coat why because you needed to keep warm this was the compassionate example of the law of Moses giving compassion to the person who was in need. You can take the shirt, but you can't take the coat. You need to leave that. And now Jesus here is saying to his followers, if you lose the lawsuit and you are forced to give up your shirt, then out of love and out of the spirit of reconciliation, give him your coat. Do more than that the law requires you to do. It's pretty radical, eh? You know? If you, you're already taking something from me, now you want, here, take that as well. We're always looking for ways to just sort of, you know, do what is required. And Jesus, he's saying, give them that also. Jesus says, no, I want you to do the extra thing for them. If they ask for your shirt, 
and they have the right to take it because you, they won the lawsuit, then out of a deliberate choice of love, you don't have a choice to give them your shirt. You lost that in a lawsuit, but out of a deliberate choice of love, give them your sweater and your coat or your coat also and show the love of Jesus to them. And you might say that Paul repeated this idea of Jesus when he said in Romans 12 and 21, be not overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. We're not going to allow ourselves to be overcome by evil, but rather by doing good in the name of Jesus, and he will, and we will overcome evil. And when Jesus continues the challenge, then he jumps into verse 41. And whoever, and whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Now, what does Jesus mean here? Because he's referring to something that was common in the day. See, understand that the land of Judea was under Roman military occupation. And the Roman soldiers had certain rights under military law. And this was one of the rights of a soldier. If a soldier is marching through the land of Judea and he gets tired of carrying his pack... He can, man, he can command a Jewish man or woman to carry the pack for him. Hey, Jew, you need to carry my pack. Roman law says so, and I have a sword. That's, how, that's what they were allowed to do. And you couldn't say nothing. So if you were the Jew, and you were told by a Roman soldier... Hey, Jew, you can carry my bag. You have to. Roman law says so. How would you react? How would you feel? You would look at the guy who's forcing you to do something that you want to do, and honest to goodness, you would probably want to do something. But you don't. You don't. Why? Because this is what Jesus was telling us to do. He was telling us, and everything that he we talked about was to resist evil, was to hold back, get smite on the, on, the, on the cheek. He was showing us that there is another way. There's another way that we can do things. You carry my backpack, and you know that when, you, when he says a mile, you know how much a mile is. It is 1,600 feet, steps, I should say. And how do I know that? Because when I measure for stuff, I measure one meter at a time. So you know that one mile is roughly around about 1,600 steps. So if you're carrying this pack, you're not just carrying, you're counting every single step until you get towards the end. And then all of a sudden, you get to 1598, 1599, 1600 and here you just drop the pack. Why do you do that? Because you've done your duty. You've done what the law requires you to do. You, you've dropped it, you've done. You can look at him and say, you know, nicely, I'm done. And you can walk away. But Jesus is not saying that. Jesus is saying, first mile first mile I walked was because the law made me do it. 
but I'm going to walk the second mile because I love Jesus. That's what he's trying to, get, to, to put in our, in our minds. By the, the first mile that that guy had to walk was because he was obligated, he was under the law, he had to do it. But the second mile, he said, you know what? Because I love Jesus so much and he's my ruler, not you, Roman, I'm going to walk another mile. I'm not going to take... I'm not going to take revenge. I'm not going to do nothing. I'm going to love God and take the second mile. That is so hard. I don't know about you guys, but that is hard. It's difficult for me to think that even. You know, that I'm just going to let it happen. Very hard. And that's why when I, was, when I was going through this sermon, I struggled because it, you know, like it's piercing me because there's so much that I do that is contrary to what God is expecting. And I say to myself, I can't believe this. So he says, Roman soldier, you don't rule my life, Jesus Christ does. Jesus Christ rules my life and I'm going to carry your pack one mile. But then the second one, I'm going to pack it because I love Jesus. And how do you like that? How many people would you, what would they say to you? You could, ch- you could actually revolutionize the world if we were to have that attitude, you know? I'm going to do it anyway because, you know, I know that what you've done to me, but I'm going to do this anyway. Jesus told us, told us to do this in love towards our enemies and not to take revenge or retribution on them. He meant even the bad enemies. And when I read that, First thing, says, sometimes when you say, oh, you got to do this to your bad enemies, the first thing you think of is, oh, who's my enemy? And then you start thinking of people. No, I wouldn't do it to them. No, they're bad. I wouldn't do it to them. But Jesus is saying, the Romans of that time were the bad people, and he expected it done to them. So what the people that you've got in your mind that you think, oh, I can't do it, God is saying, they're the ones that you need to do it. Yes to them. The Romans were them. And Jesus says, open up your heart and let my love flow through you to them. And then he says in verse 42, give to them that asketh thee from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Now that one there took the cake. All right? Give to them that asketh thee. Didn't say what. So can you imagine if you were to walk down the streets of George Street and every person that asked for something, you had to give. You'd be left with nothing. Is that what Jesus is trying to say? So if I give, if I give everybody who asks of me or if I gave or to lend to everybody who wants, I'd have nothing. I'd have to hold on to something. And Jesus says, listen, why don't you do this? Hold on to me and I'll show you the way. We always want to read the scripture and then try and understand it for ourselves. Okay? There is a limit. And let me tell you what that limit is. The limit is love itself. If you try to understand this, that sometimes giving someone what they ask for isn't loving them, it's actually hurting them. 
Sometimes affirming somebody in their behavior and shielding them from consequences of their behavior, that's not loving them, that's hurting them. We have a limit. My giving to other people, yes, you better believe that my giving to other people, there is a limit that I want it to be. It's the limit that love itself should impose. It's not a limit that self-interest would oppose, but the limit that love itself would oppose because it's not love to give to somebody's manipulation without transforming it into a free act of love. It isn't love if you always give to the person who asks because you could end up hurting them. And it isn't love if you shield people from their consequences of their misbehaviors, but notice the common trend. It's love that is the limit and not self. That's what Jesus was trying to say. We, 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 we kind of twist it sometimes. We think that we need to give everything. But he's saying that sometimes you can give good, but it could be to their detriment. It could be to their failure. They, they could fall because not everything that you give is for good. So if I can have the, the musicians. So these, these are the tough sayings of Jesus. You know, we heard, I think in the first, the first series, we, we heard about if you don't, if you, that Jesus came to bring sword between them, father and mother and brother and sister and to bring them, like, that was hard. That was hard. If you don't love me more than your mother and your father and your brother and your sister, I got nothing to do with you. That was hard. And then, he t- then we, t- we heard about the rich young ruler who, who had everything and he all, he was to give. You know, he followed the law. But then Jesus says, yes, you did, but sell everything and follow me. And it hit hard. It hit hard. And then I read this, it hit even worse. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And then it continues, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot. And if someone smites you on the right cheek, turn to the left. And if they say, walk a mile, walk two miles. And he's saying, if you want to give and to give what you have, it's very confronting sometimes, guys. Because we as Christians sometimes misunderstand what Jesus is saying. We misunderstand, like we read in the beginning, we can twist the scripture. We can make it sound like the way we want it to make it sound. And we've got to be careful. That's why, you know, being taught a Bible study and understanding the context of what's happening, understanding what the Gospels are, understanding what the Book of Acts is, understanding the laws. So we don't twist everything around and start another denomination over here because the Bible says that. We've got to be careful. And if we can just, if we can all stand. I want to give you the opportunity to, we're going to open up this altar. We want to give you the opportunity to, to have a little, little talk with Jesus. It is tough. The sayings of Jesus are tough. But everything in there, the law and everything, is to benefit us. It's to protect us. It's not there to...
discourage and to, you know, to knock you out. Wherever, whenever there's something in the Bible that, that looks hard, there's always something that says what it means. God does not just leave you wandering. He's always making a way or a plan of attack. He's always got a key to get you out. It's not like this is it and that's it. You're done. And if you're like me, when you read this, man, it was serious. And if I'm being honest with you, I'm going to struggle with this. And I can say to you, I don't know if I can do it. And you're probably asking yourself, how am I going to do it? But I figured out that when you come to God and you, you're born again of the water and of the Spirit, you have an advantage. And the advantage is you have God in you. And when God is in you, He will help you. You're not alone. And that's the thing that helped me is that I'm not doing this by myself. Yes, I'm going to make mistakes. Yes, I'll probably, in those four verses there, I'll probably mess up a ton of times. You know, I'll probably mess up first thing Monday morning. But I know that God is with me and He's going to help me. And so I'm going to open up this altar for you today that if you think, like I think, that it's hard. It's not an easy, it's not an easy saying, but it's something that we've got to live by. Then I invite you to come down. I invite you to come down, spend a few minutes at the altar and just ask God, ask Him to help you because it is going to be a struggle. It's not, you know, a flyby thing. We're in it for the long haul. From now to when Jesus comes back or when you, when you pass away, this is going to be a struggle. And the good thing about this is that we have been taught that God is going to be with us. So I'll leave you with that. God bless you.